0: Today, we're in week two of a three-week message series that we're calling Rooted. And what we're talking about in this series is how you and I can develop deep roots in our own lives. In the New Testament, in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33, we read these words. we'll have these up on the screen for you as well. It says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Um, here on earth, you will have many trials and, and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, this is a, a twofold promise for believers. First, in this life, uh, you and I, we're going to experience trials. Uh, we're going to have sorrows. We're going to have troubles, and uh, we're going to experience heartache and even loss. And what we talked about last week, how these are really the storms of life. But Jesus tells us to take heart, that we can, we can have hope. Because he has overcome the world. Jesus, you could say it this way, Jesus is greater than our troubles. I said last week that you've either just come out of one of life's storms. Uh, You're currently in the middle of a storm, maybe individually or as a family. Sometimes whole churches go through these types of things. Or there's a storm on its way. But the thing about the storms of life, you know, I believe when we read Scripture, there's so much confidence given to believers and hope that's given to believers. You and I, we we don't have to, to fear the storms of life. Instead, we can focus on what God's Word has to say about what it means for believers to be rooted in the right kinds of things, rooted through the storms of life so that you and I will still be standing when they're over. You know, when it comes to loss, Or or any other type of major storm that you and I experience in in this life. God's plan is not that you and I would just get over these things. Instead, it's quite the opposite. He wants to show us how we can get through the storms of life. He wants to help us get through them by showing us how we can be rooted in the right kinds of things. So we've talked about how the main text for this series comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and specifically verse 13. And it's there we read these words. Um, three things will last forever. So right then I just, I pause and I, and I think, okay, this, these aren't three things that are momentary. These aren't three things that last a week or a month. These things aren't just given to a person when they go through a season of difficulty. These things last forever. Faith hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I believe, church, that these are the kinds of things that that God wants us to be rooted in. You know, faith serves as the foundation to our response to God's message, the good news of Jesus. And hope, what we're going to talk about today, really is the attitude that believers should have, and it's the focus of our faith. Next week, we're going to wrap this series up by talking about love and specifically how love is the action. And this action was first demonstrated by God uh, towards us through his son, Jesus. You know, when you and I are in Christ, we're able to love God and love others in the way that we were called to, in the way that we were created to. Well, last week, we talked about specifically what it means to be rooted in faith. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you missed that message, if you're here and and you need to play catch up, uh, you can actually go back on our website. You can listen uh, to the messages on there. We archive those uh, in the form of a podcast. You don't have to download them or anything like that. Just go to the website and they've been um, archived all the way back to mid-August. So I think there's 20 or so messages on there. We've got guest speakers on there. Uh, You can go back and listen to the messages. You can share those uh, with coworkers, with family, with friends, uh, things like that. And that's really why that's there you know, is so that the church would continue to be uh, strengthened uh, through the preaching of God's word. Well, today I want to talk about what it means to be rooted in hope. You know, this is the second word that's highlighted in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 13. And this, this word hope, you know, I think today, you know, we, we gather together as the church and uh, possibly we might have, all have different uh, pers- perspectives on what the word hope means and, and what it is. But I just want to say off the back, this is, this is so important that we get this. This is so important for believers. You know, when a person places their faith in Christ, when a person is saved, that person is given a hope that they didn't have before. That's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, When you and I are in Christ, we're given um, a new hope. The Bible actually calls it, uh, describes it more or less as an eager hope. We're given an eager hope. But What does this mean? What does it mean to have a new hope? What does it mean to have this this eager hope? That's that's what I want to talk about today. You know, most of today's message is going to come from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8. We're not going to read the entire chapter. There's 39 verses in Romans, chapter 8. So if we were to do that this morning, and um, with the way my mind works, we'd get through it, you know, a verse at a time, and we'd be here for like four hours. So um, I want to encourage you with this, though. Um, maybe sometime in the next 24 hours, uh, go home and read Romans chapter 8 uh, by yourself, with your family, with your spouse, um, whatever, whatever you do. Maybe sometime in the next 24 hours do that because it's so important that we read God's word in context so that we know uh, what's being talked about, what's being uh, uh, preached. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that I want to talk about, the first point that we're going to talk about today is this, um, is that our hope. Is rooted in the truth that we do not have to live in condemnation. For you and I, our hope is rooted in the truth that you and I do not have to live in condemnation. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It really just starts the whole thing off with that. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says, now, there, there is no condemnation. You, you see that right off the back. The, the word now, it doesn't mean later. It doesn't mean next week. It doesn't mean someday. It certainly doesn't mean when you and I have our act together. When all of our baggage is taken care of and, and we're good people. That's not what this word means. Right now means right now. See, right now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. You know, I believe this with all of my heart. That every person to some degree battles with condemnation in their own minds to some degree i think we all battle with condemnation in our own minds and this is because we've all done things or or said things that we're not proud of you could say it how the bible says that every person here has sinned We're, we're all sinners romans chapter 3 verse 23 says for everyone has sinned we all fall short of god's glorious standard you know, the hard thing, or, or maybe the difficult thing, is not believing the truth that we're all sinners. I think for the most part, most people understand that they mess up, all right that, that, that they fall short, especially believers. The difficult truth for many people is to believe that in Christ, we do not have to live in shame and condemnation anymore. We don't. Personally, I know that when I mess up, I often wish that I could just forget the things that I've done. We talked about this a little bit in our, in our Sunday school class this morning. But, you know, for many of us, these hurts, these, the habits that we have, the things maybe that we won't tell anybody else, um, the hang-ups that, that we have, they just keep coming back. They keep following us. We remember what we said to that specific coworker, and we weren't proud of it. You know, I got a little frustrated this weekend with one of the ladies in, the, in a drive-thru at a fast food place. And my wife looked over at me after we had had this little exchange. And, and she said, who are you? <laughs> you know, and like, we, we have these moments. I repented this morning, actually, of that, by the way. And we have these moments. We have things that they follow us. We just, we can't get over it. We remember what we did when no one was looking. Maybe multiple times. We remember how we responded in anger to our kids. You know, our sins, they have consequences, and we often remember those consequences. We often bring those along with us. We kind of drag them along with us in life. But I want to say this to you this morning, and if you're taking notes, this might be a good thing to write down, and that is this, that condemnation and hope are two things that cannot coexist together. Condemnation and hope are two things that cannot coexist If you live with a sense of condemnation, you'll begin to lose hope. And that's because living with a sense of condemnation when you're in Christ drains the hope that you were given in Christ. It begins to drain that hope that you were given in Christ. You know, as believers, when we live with a sense of condemnation, we begin to lose hope that God can can do things like answer our prayers. We begin to lose hope. When you and I live with condemnation in our, in our lives, we, we lose hope that, that he loves us. We begin to lose hope that his promises are for us. And we've talked about in the past how it's, it's believed that there's estimated to be between 5,000 and 8,000 promises uh, written by God um, through his word for believers. And when we live with a sense of condemnation in our lives, we begin to lose hope that God's promises are for us. I think the biggest thing, you know, when you and I live with a sense of condemnation in our own lives, we, we lose hope that Jesus is who he says he is and that you and I are who he says that we are. We have an identity crisis. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, um, You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature uh, was not yet cut away, uh, period. And then we, we saw this last week, too, in a verse. It says, Then, I love that word, then. It's, it's like it gives us hope. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He, he canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. Church, all of our sins, past, present, and and future, have been nailed to the cross. Jesus personally never sinned, but he took on the world's sin. He he took our sins to the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have hope. And for those who are in Christ, the penalty of sin died with with Christ on the cross. The penalty uh, for sin that you and I so rightly deserve died with Christ on the cross and because Jesus defeated sin and then ultimately defeated death Jesus was raised from death we're now declared not guilty Jesus was and is the perfect sacrifice for our sins and now as Romans 8 talks about we no longer have to live under sin's power I want you to hear this church this is good news you and I no longer have to live under the authority, under the power of sin. Yes, you and I are still going to be tempted to sin. And at times, we're going to sin. We're going to mess up. I sinned this weekend. I did. But there's a difference, there's a change that occurs in a person's life when they're in Christ. That's why the Bible describes it as, as a new creation. The, the old is, is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. See, before we were saved, we were slaves to our sinful nature. But now we're free to live for Christ. The Bible teaches very clearly that before you, you made that decision to believe in Jesus, before you were saved, you were a slave to sin. But now you're a slave of Christ. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. This is the old me. This is, this is before I was in Christ. This is before I knew Jesus. It has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you're you're wondering, not maybe you're here, you're here. Maybe you're thinking this this morning. How can can a person live without a sense of condemnation? How can we not be fearful of those things? How can we not, not think about those things I want to give you three truths this morning, the kind of subpoints that you can write down. The, the first thing is this, is that when you're in Christ, legally, God looks at you as if you had died with Christ. Legally, God looks at you as if you had, had died with Christ. And, and because our sins died with him, uh, you and I, we know are, we're no longer condemned. And, and then you jump to the, this word relationally. Relationally, because of the resurrection, not because of of something we did, because of the resurrection, we've become one with Christ. Galatians 2.20 tells us that it's no longer you and I who live, but Christ lives in us. It's no longer I that live, it's Christ living in me. It's no longer you that live, it's Christ living in you. And then finally, in our daily lives, we can turn away from temptation because we're no longer under the authority of sin. We're now under the authority of Christ. When you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And Christ has defeated sin, He's defeated death. You know, when we believe in Jesus and we receive His wonderful gift of forgiveness and salvation, we don't have to live in condemnation anymore. That is hope. You know, over the years, I've talked with so many people, some of them uh, of the younger variety, being in youth group and and middle school age, but I've talked to a lot of adults as well who have said verbally no to being used by God because they felt like something they did in the past was going to keep them from being used by God. They, They have said no to being used by God in a big way because they didn't feel like they were able to be used by God because... Fill in the blank. You know, friends, we aren't worthy because of anything that we've done. We're not worthy because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And that's real hope. Our, our hope is rooted in the truth that we do not have to live in condemnation. We can have confidence in who Jesus is and confidence in who we are in Christ. You and I can be rooted in the truth that we do not have to live in condemnation. The second thing that I want to talk about if you're taking notes is this, um, that our hope is rooted in the truth. I love this, that God's purpose for my life is greater than my problems. Amen. (laughs) I have a lot of problems. I have a lot of issues. God's purpose for my life is greater than my problems. You know, every person in this room has experienced the storms of life. Some may, may be more difficult than others, and that's probably not even the best way to describe it. Some different than others. Every single person here, if we were to go around the room and just take the rest of the day, every person could share a story about something that you have gone through in this life that you would consider to be a, uh, one of the storms of life. Many of us could write a book about it and publish it. We, we, we go through trials We experience sorrow, trouble, heartache, and loss. Again, these are the storms of life. And sometimes life can feel so overwhelming that we begin to lose hope. And this affects every area of our lives. Maybe it's a relationship that you have with one of your children. Or maybe it's, you know, the the current view that you have on the church and where it's at in this time and this place. Not just church, you know, this church, but The global church you know we we get down about these things and it begins to affect everything when the storms of life begin to take over our, our lives we start asking questions like how could God let this happen we kind of stomp our foot we put it bury it into the ground how could God let this happen life gets to be so much at times that we begin to lose hope it's more than we can take And that's why it's important to remember God's word. And and I would say this, more specifically, God's promises. There's a great promise recorded for us just towards the end of Romans 8. We're jumping down just a little bit. Um, Romans 8, verse 28, it says, And and we know that God causes everything uh, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I want to reread that this morning. And we know that God causes everything, not just some things, not just a a few things. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Friends, if you're in Christ, this promise is for you. It's important to remember that God doesn't cause evil things to happen to you. He didn't cause the the trouble that you experienced. He didn't cause the heartache that you felt. He didn't cause the the loss that you've experienced. But that in all things, you could even say, in all storms, in all storms, he is working for your good. You know, it's really hard for us to recognize this when we're going through the storms of life. It's, It's easy to lose hope. But we can remember that in everything, in every storm, God is working for your good. If we jump up just a few verses to verse 24 and 25, I think this is my favorite part of Romans 8 because it defines hope for us. It was from this, these two verses I was able to kind of write my own um, definition of hope, and I want to share that with you this morning. But Romans eight twenty four and 25, it says, uh, we were given this hope when we were saved. So it's something that we didn't have before you were in Christ. This is something new. This is something that, you, uh, that God gives you. This is something that you were given. And then it says, if, if we already have something, we, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we, we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently all right, Paul, what are you talking about here? <laughs> you know, we, we might not fully understand why we have to go through the types of storms that we have to go through in this life. I shared with you last week that it's just been a little over two years that we, we lost my, my younger sister. You know, that's a, a type of loss that um, takes a toll on an individual and a toll on a family. All across this room this morning, we've experienced loss in all different kinds of, of ways. And we might not fully understand why we have to go through that. But we can remember, and this is, this is my own definition of hope, according to, to Paul. That, and it is this, that hope is eagerly waiting for something that we do not yet have because of someone that we now know. Hope is eagerly waiting for something that we do not yet have because of someone that we now know. We're going to have storms in this life, but we can look forward to an eternity with Christ There will come a time when the storms are no more. There will be no more hurting. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more arguments that lead to division in relationships. I mean, just fill in the blank. It goes on and on, the things that is a direct result of sin. One day there will be no more. We can look forward to these things that that we do not yet get to experience in this life, but we're going to experience them for eternity. We can look forward to that you know there, there's a lot of people who've stopped going to church these days because of the storms that they've experienced in life you know we go through seasons like that and I believe that one of the main reasons is that people have lost hope people have lost hope they don't see God working and they don't understand how things could possibly get any better in life I think this has a lot to do with perspective, a lot about being reminded about the promises of God in our lives, understanding who, who God is and who he says we are. In fact, I've got an illustration this morning that I'd like to show you. I brought some things from home. Um, I've got a little cart. Amy, I'll return this, I promise. So I'm going to set this over here. Hopefully, can everybody see over there? Pretty good, maybe? Okay. So I've got some things that I brought this morning. Um, This is just a box that a hat came in. So it's up for grabs if anybody wants it afterwards. So, um, all right, a couple things that I brought from home. Um, I brought some Toll House Nestle uh, sweet uh, chocolate chips. Man, those are good, aren't they? That's speaking my language right there. So I I I brought some eggs. I brought... What is this? I brought some baking soda. I I, will, I guess I'll remind you, I had to have some help with this because I'm not good in the kitchen as I've shared, so my wife had to fill me in on some things. So I brought some some baking soda. Um, this is flour. It doesn't say it. It's flour. <laughs> I promise. Um, I brought some pure vanilla extract. All right. I brought some, uh, some butter. Sweet cream butter. It's salted, but just butter. So... I don't know if that matters at all. I was told that moving down here, if I have a guest over, if I have people over at my house, um, I shouldn't serve fake butter. That's like a sin. That's, that's like a real thing in, in Wisconsin, that it has to be real butter. And, and I guess at one point, maybe you can look this up, at one time, maybe this goes back way long ago, but I guess there was actually a law in the state of Wisconsin um, that they couldn't serve something that wasn't real butter because it's a dairy state. Now, you got to check me on that, all right? Check everything that I talk about. Go back to God's word. Make sure it's there. But um, I'm serious. I'm wrong sometimes. All right, so some some sugar, some brown sugar. Mm. Pour some sugar on whatever we're going to talk about. All right, so just a show of hands, and and then I'll call on someone. There's a lot of things here, uh, some good by themselves, some not. But who can tell me when, when these are put together what they make? Did I forget salt? That's not my fault. I, I, that's not my fault. <laughs> I told you, I'm not good at these things. So these, that might not be very good, but salt. So they make chocolate chip cookies, right? Now, I, I need to know, does anybody have a birthday um, that is this week? you have a birthday this week? Oh, my goodness. You do too, this week? Happy birthday. Congratulations. Okay, you two, go ahead and come up here. We have some fresh baked cookies for you this morning. Now you have to split them, okay? These were made last night, and they were made with salt, I think. They were. All right. They, they have all the right stuff in them. I promise. I tried one last night. All right. So here's the deal. Th- this is an illustration of life. Okay, most, most ingredients by themselves are not great. You know, I would eat chocolate chips, and, and I do sometimes, but you can only eat so many of those, right? Nobody's going to eat a stick of butter unless you're my one-year-old. We were eating at the family restaurant Friday morning, and the, the glob of butter was on top of the pancake, and I look over, and the whole thing is in his mouth. And I'm just thinking, oh, no. <laughs> you know, we're not just going to sit here and down pure baking soda, right? You do, Matt? That explains so much. No? <laughs> Pure vanilla extract. We don't just take this stuff you know, by the drop or anything. You know, we don't do that. But God, God is able to take all of the individual ingredients in life and make them something good. He is. He, he takes the bitter. He, he takes the harsh. He takes the the hurtful, he takes the loss that we've experienced, and he takes the good and somehow makes them work together for our good. There's no way I could make cookies. I've got someone who can. There's no way, there's no way I could piece together all of of the storms of life and everything that I experience and make something good about it. But we have a, a Father in heaven who can. Amen. He makes them work together for our good. Our hope is rooted in the truth that God's purpose for my life is greater than my problems. He sees the end result. He knows the end result. I don't. And I get caught up so often in in the raw egg or, you know, whatever it is. I get caught up in that. But there's hope. Because God's, God's purpose for my life is greater than my problems. The third thing that I want to talk about this morning, if you're taking notes, is that um, our hope is rooted in the truth that God is not only with us, he is for us. Our hope is rooted in the truth that God is not only with us, he is for us. At the very end of Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, and I underline that word us, For a reason, I I, I want to come back to that. But if God is is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You know, I know we have some people in our church that are theologians. They love to read and study um, who God is, and they love to learn about God's word, maybe on, on a deeper level. And it's been Romans, the book of Romans, you know, has been described as a theological explanation of God's love and grace. And it certainly is. But, you know, when I read the book of Romans, I see that it's a letter of comfort, it's a letter of confidence, and it's a letter of hope addressed to Christians. You know, church, one of, one of Satan's biggest lies against you, one of Satan's biggest lies against you, is that God is against you. One of his biggest lies is that God is against you. Think about it this way. How often do do people experience the storms of life? How often do we go through difficult seasons and and we end up saying things uh, like, I guess God is just punishing me. Or I guess God's just against me. I think for the most part, many people have said or or expressed things like that. But Romans 8 teaches us that not only is God with us, he is for us. And this is where I want to come back to the word us, because it can be read out of context. You know, the word us in verse 31 is exclusive. It's exclusive. It's not inclusive. The Apostle Paul is talking about individuals who are in Christ. Now, I want to say this, though. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is inclusive. It's for everybody. The invitation is for everybody. But the promise that we receive here, the promise of hope, is exclusive. It's only experienced by those who are in Christ. It's it's reserved, you could say, for those who are in Christ. You know, we, we don't have to live with condemnation or fear. It doesn't matter what I experience in this life, it doesn't matter what you experience in this life. Because he works all things together for good. And he is good. And when we know this promise, when we believe this promise, we don't have to live in fear of our past. We don't have to live in fear of our future. When we know that God loves us and is for us, we can begin as individuals, as families, and as a church, we can begin to pray bold prayers. We can pray bold prayers. You and I, we can begin to take bold steps of faith. You know I, I told Faith I was going to mention this last night. Um, church growth, um, I would say spiritually and numerically, is often characterized um, like a bell, like a bell curve. Uh, what happens when you begin to survey and look at different churches across the country and across the world you, you see there 's times where, where church growth it, it grows a lot it, pla- it, it, it goes up and then it begins to plateau and then it begins to fall and sometimes you might find yourself at the at the very top or on your way up and sometimes you find yourself in a in a downward trend but I would say this this morning that two things we don't have to be fearful of our past or or our future because our hope is in Christ the 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 flip side of that is I think that we're on an upturn I think that there's some very positive things coming and and that part comes with stepping out in bold faith. I've never had a conversation with a pastor or never uh, heard of a church that has grown uh, spiritually or numerically without the members of its church stepping out in in bold prayers and taking bold steps of faith. See, when you become complacent, you start relying on yourselves. You look inwardly and you start focusing on maybe where you don't feel like God is working instead of focusing on the things that God is doing and having faith in, in your confidence and your hope in Him. And I believe the things, some of the things that we're doing right now as a church, uh, individuals are meeting and praying. We're taking bold steps of faith in areas like our children's ministry. And there's a whole new uh, design, a whole new purpose, really, for what's going to be happening starting this Wednesday uh, for our kids' ministry in our church. Kids are going to meet. It's, it's not about the program. It's really about the, the purpose and the focus of what we're doing. Uh, kids are going to meet. All ages are going to worship together. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be exciting. Uh, we're going to dismiss and go to different groups, almost like a VBS style of, of kids' ministry. And they're going to have an opportunity to learn from God's word and, and talk about things that they're, that they're going through. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is, um, what does God's word say about finding the right kinds of friends? That's huge for, for that age. You know, um, kids are mean to me at school. Does that mean I'm worthless? You know, uh, my friends are, and and some of them won't use terminology like this, but they're bringing me down. You know, how do I get, how do I get over that? We're going to answer those questions together, and the the point is this, church, I believe that we're on the upper side of that curve. God is doing something in this church, but it requires a bold step of faith, and it requires bold prayers. Our, it's not something we do. It's something, It's something. Our hope is in Jesus. Our trust is in Jesus. We respond in bold faith. There's a new confidence and a new hope in our lives because our hope is in Jesus. That is our hope. In these verses, they should give the church hope today because if God is truly for us, and Romans 8 teaches that he is, then who can ever be against us? If God gave his son for you, if Christ gave himself for you, if he died for you, he isn't going to turn around and just condemn you. Not only is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but these verses also teach that God does not withhold anything from us that is needed to live for him. He doesn't say, hey, church, I want you to just go be the church. I gave it to you here. Go, go do it. And then he, and he leaves us on our own. He doesn't. He promises that he gives us everything that we need to grow in Christ and live like Christ. And this hit me last night as I was was praying about this. I think that often happens when we're experiencing the storms of life. Those are the moments, those are the seasons when we begin to be, I would say, even more dependent on God than ever before. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. When we're experiencing the storms of life, this promise, if you're going through something, that's for you. God gives you everything that you need in those seasons to grow in Christ and to live like Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way. But when you experience the loss of a loved one, God's going to use that season. He's going to get a hold of your life and use you for his glory and for your good. You know, growing up, kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, I had a dad who was was always there. He was always there. Um, He worked really hard. For our family, and he he worked really long hours, but he was always there. I remember thinking back about as far as my mind will take me. He, I remember him being at every t-ball game when I was five. In fact, he was one of the coaches. We had um, we were the uh, the Reds. That was the name of our our team, the Reds. And I was I was I was okay. I wasn't great, but he was at every he was at every game. He was at every football game when I was in seventh grade. And man, I was bad at football. I was so bad at football. I was. I guess on paper, a receiver, but I was like three people down, someone had to be sick and injured, and we had to be winning by like four touchdowns, and then I got some some play time and but I had fun with, with my friends on the sideline. The point is this, my dad was there he was he was there and he was one hundred percent supportive when I made the decision to give up sports altogether and focus on music and church and you know things like that and i 've shared with you we, we didn 't go to church all the time that just you know we weren't every Sunday kind of people. He was my biggest fan and uh, continues to be this day outside my, my wife. My greatest source of, of support. And even when I made terrible decisions, and I made some terrible decisions as a kid, he was always there. He was supportive. He, he, he called me out when I, was, when I messed up, but he, you know, he helped me grow. He helped me get through that. Why do I say this? You know, a lot of people didn't grow up having this type of relationship with their earthly dad. My wife is one of those people. you know sometimes she'll be able to share her testimony with you and be able to share some of the experiences that she had growing up in a his, hers and mine house and multiple siblings and you know just a, a lot of uh, a lot of hard times. I've found over the years that whatever type of relationship that, that you and I had or have with our earthly dad, it, it does tend to affect to some agree, degree um, how we view. Our heavenly father. None of our earthly dads are perfect. My dad is not perfect. Um, Your your dad is not perfect. And people will will fail you. (laughs) But our heavenly father will not. He's a perfect dad. He's the perfect example of a perfect dad. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, going back into the Old Testament, it says, This is my command be strong. Be courageous. Do not be defra- afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I wish we could camp in, in the book of Joshua for a while today, but we're, we're running out of time a little bit this morning. You know, I look back at my life uh, to this point, and I, I believe with all of my heart that my Heavenly Father has been present at every T-ball game. He's, he, he was there when I won a wrestling match and, and when I lost twice as many. He was there when i didn 't get to play football very much, but I wore the the jersey you know to school I, I was, thought I was something He was there when I struggled with the decision whether or not to give up sports and focus more on music and church. He was there when I met my bride for the very first time. I remember when I saw her for the first time, um, especially the first couple interactions we had, one of them right at the beginning, she was just putting away the food in the cafeteria at the college I met her at and I knew right then. (laughs) He was there. You know, he was also there a couple years later um, when Faith and I had a miscarriage. He was there. He was there when I lost my sister a couple years ago. He's been there in the good times and through the storms of life. You know, regardless of what your experience has been with your earthly dad, you have a Heavenly Father who is always there. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally. No matter the kind of storm that you go through in this life, you, you have a heavenly Father who is perfect in every way and is with you and is for you during the seasons of life. He is for you in the sense that he's going to give you everything that you need to grow in Christ and to live like Christ, even during the seasons that are difficult. Romans 8 ends with verse 38 and 39. It says, I am convinced that nothing, he's, this is Paul talking, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. These are the storms of life, church. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. That is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today we can be reminded that our hope is rooted in the truth, that we do not have to live in condemnation. When you and I make the decision to believe in Jesus, when we are saved, when we're in Christ, we do not have to live life with a sense of condemnation. Our hope is is rooted in the truth, that God's purpose for my life is greater than my problems. Remember today that God is able to take all of the individual ingredients of life, the good, the bad, the bitter, the hurtful, the loss. He's able to take everything that we experience in this life and put it together and make something good. You'll have to tell me how those cookies are. He's able to make something good our hope is rooted in the truth that God is not only with us, he is for, uh, for us. You know, regardless of the kinds of storms that, that we have experienced in this life, maybe you're going through one right now. And, and whatever kind of relationship that you've experienced with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who is perfect in every way and is with you and is for you during every season of life. The, the storms of life are coming. Again, we don't have to be fearful of these things, but we can take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. And because of Jesus, we have a new hope. We're given this eager hope. Let's be a church that is rooted in hope. Amen?